The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran i have a friend and a mentor who is vegan but he doesn't tell people that publicly because he says it's elitist it's expensive it leaves people out But we're going to be talking today with a couple of gentlemen who believe that plant-based living and eating leave no one out and that not doing plant-based eating and living means nothing less than they're trying to kill us. So stay tuned. It's going to be something of a wild ride and something of a wonderful introduction, if you haven't seen it already, to the movie of the season, the very plant-based, very heartfelt, and very important documentary, They Are Trying to Kill Us. And I'm very pleased to be joined today with, um, by my um, uh, colleagues and the filmmakers for this movie, Keegan Kuhn and John. Recording in progress. So today, talking with Keegan Kuhn and badass vegan John Lewis about They're Trying to Kill Us, the best documentary I have seen in a good long while. And it's funny, usually when I wait a while for a film, I've heard so much about it. I've read so much about it. I want it to come out now, but it's not coming out until later. And then I see it. It's like, well, you know, it was good, but that was a long wait. With this film, it was, oh my gosh, it's so good. Got to see it over again. So welcome, John. Welcome, Keegan, to the Main Street Vegan Program. So much for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, I I was blown away by the film. It's interesting. You had a lot of new people that I hadn't heard from before. And then you had some people that I know and that I've seen in other films. They were better than they've ever been. It's just like you inspired them or this particular topic really lit a fire under them as it should under all of us. So, John, I think it was your idea back in the day. Can you give us a little bit of of the history? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Keegan and I have been friends for quite some time and uh, 
we had talked about doing a film together and my idea was to uh, incorporate hip hop because it's the most influential genre ever created. And everybody, no matter what you do, if you're a soccer mom, if you're uh, on Wall Street, everybody listens to hip hop at one point in their life. And everybody watches what they uh, wear, where they go to travel, everything. So we're like, well, what if they knew about this other aspect of what they eat? Because hip hop basically was uh, started as a as a in uh, in capsule news source for people because the mainstream media wasn't covering a lot of things. So hip hop was a way of delivering the message that was entertaining. So I was like, what if we call all the people that I know that are hip hop artists that are vegan and we, we talk about this, but we, we give it to the people in a way that's entertaining, but informative. Well, you did that. It was, it was absolutely terrific. And it's interesting. I know there's a, an aspect of, of hip hop that is devoted to plant-based eating and being healthy. I, I don't know if you were here about three years ago or maybe four, because the pandemic makes time weird. But uh, when hip hop is green launched as a, a pillar of hip hop, and there was just so much enthusiasm and excitement. And I think between that and then what you guys are doing, there is just so much growth, certainly in the black community around going plant-based and going vegan. But it seems like your film was looking not at the excitement, enthusiasm and all the great stuff, but at some of the real problems in minority communities around food. What did you see there, Keegan? You know, part of the film is a big part of the film is following John around the country as he explores this, this issue, you know, and trying to find answers to why is it that Americans of color suffer from disproportionately higher rates of chronic disease like diabetes and heart disease and cancer, which are sometimes two, three, four times higher in African American community than the European American community. And as he starts to uncover that, you find that there is this direct correlation between access to healthy food and chronic disease. And then you look at the historical implications of why are these communities have a struggle getting access to healthy food? Why are there fewer grocery stores? What is the food that is available in these communities? And, and the film just re reveals this intersection between diet, disease, poverty, institutionalized racism, including between industry and government working together to keep people sick and, and comes around to the fact that it seems like a very uh, concerted effort to keep people ill and kill them. So as you went around the country, uh, and either one of you or both of you, please take this. What is it like if you're talking to people who, who are not aware of this, to live in a low-income community in the U.S. today and want to eat healthy? What are the obstacles people face? Um, you face everything from just the way that the system is set up to where grocery stores, one example that I'm sure you saw in the, in the movie was when the grocery stores, when they leave a location, if they, let's say they sign a 30 year lease. And when they finally leave that location, another grocery store can't move into that location, um, which deprives that neighborhood or that community of groceries, but they make them go to another location outside. That's just one. Um, everything from when we talk about the native Americans and how they took their land and also put, you know, basically, gave them nothing but, you know, white sugar, white flour, white rice, alcohol, things like that. These systematic practices have been put in place 
for seems like centuries at this point. And the people that are, we could say the powers that be in the government, politicians, companies, even they may not have been the one to get this ball rolling, but they haven't done anything to change it either. So that's why they're still at fault. So let's start with a story, John. We have things in common that I didn't realize until I saw the film. We were both raised by grandmothers who were really our mothers. And we're yep. both from Missouri. You're from Ferguson near St. Louis. I'm uh -huh. from Kansas City. And we were oh. both obese kids. And now we're both vegans. So uh, right. tell us what it was like for you back in Ferguson. What was the food like and what happened for you? Uh, it seemed like everything was fried, uh, processed, everything. Uh, even if I had vegetables, it probably had some kind of butter in it or some kind of animal product in it. I really never even had, you know, I always talk about the stories. I never had mangoes, pineapples, avocado until I moved away from there. I had no idea what these things were. Uh, my upbringing was actually nice, you know, because you don't really realize the trauma that you go through sometimes until you get out of the trauma. And that's when I started to really see and look back at how abrasive my community could be. Very loving at times, but it also was very hard. And that was one of the biggest motivations of this film, too, is that not only just to help save my family, but I know tons of families that can learn from this information and change their lives and their families' lives. So you were an overweight kid or teenager, really, really overweight um, to the yes. degree that it can affect health. And you turned that around. How did you do it? Really, I, at the time, it wasn't veganism yet. It was, I became way more active. Uh, you know, growing up, you're doing little leagues and things of that nature. You're really not that active you know the coach shows up and he throws some basketballs out in the court and then he goes outside and you just kind of play around when i got to high school i i involved myself in three different sports it was uh, track football and basketball and within that year i had a great growth spurt and it all coupled together and and, and i lost the weight but i still had like digestive problems without even paying attention to it Every time I ate dairy or meat, I had digestive problems. And it didn't click until I got to graduate school when I moved to Miami that I should go have this checked out. And then that's when I found out about the IBS. And that kind of changed my life right there. So how did the two of you connect for this film? I know, Keegan, you have an incredible filmography. I see a couple of your posters of uh, What the Health and, and Cowspiracy. So uh, what happened to to bring us They're Trying to Kill Us? Uh, John and I have been friends for a long time. And um, we we had met at a couple different conferences and, uh, and events. And we started talking about um, doing a film together. And I thought that, you know, John's a, a great spokesperson. You know, he's 6'6", six, six, 250 pounds of muscle, you know, a million dollar smile. Like he's the person you put on in front of the camera. Um and I thought, you know, he'd, he'd be a, a pers perfect person. He's funny. He's charismatic. And so I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing a film together? He said, yeah, totally. Let's let's do it. And and we talked about, you know, reaching the African-American community, which has been, you know, historically really underserved, especially for the vegan message. And so he came up with this brilliant idea. He's like, let's utilize hip hop. 
to access you know, and promote this message to a more diverse community. And I think it's a, a brilliant way to do it because, you know, as he said before, what hip hop artists say, wear, drive, eat, drink influences what their fans do. And so a lot of their fans don't realize that they're plant-based or food conscious or food conscious. So it was a, it seemed like a perfect fit and working with John the last five plus years has been, has been really great. Wow. I think when we watch a movie, we, <laughs> We don't think about all the years that go into it and, and all the ups and downs. You had a, a unique release strategy too for this film. Can you tell us about that? John, you want to answer that one? You want to... Yeah. So uh, we basically took a route that was definitely out of the box. We wanted to do a self-release and we wanted to, uh, basically use the influence of the cast of the film to promote the film and to sell the film. Um, with that being said, we're still looking at distribution, but we wanted to kind of give, you know, teasers or sneak peeks uh, to the people that have been waiting patiently. You know, we have people that, you know, uh, contributed to the film as far as, uh, Indiegogo, we had a campaign that we did with that. We had a lot of people waiting around. People people actually started to think that the film wasn't even a real thing. <laughs> so this is just a way to do it. And now we're, we're still in talks with distribution um, to get it out. But this was a way to kind of kind of change the game up a little bit. Very so we interesting. Did, yeah, we did, we did something that, we, again, these are John's brilliant. John's got a, a master's in um, business. So he's, he comes up with very creative ideas. But we, we created, um, there's 100 plus interviews in this film. And so we created close to 100 individualized trailers for everybody who was in the film so that they could promote it to their audience directly. And so you know, the film's executive produced by NBA all-star Chris Paul and Grammy-winning artist Billie Eilish. And so... You know, their audiences alone is like over 100 million people. Um, and so they they agreed to promote the film. And we had a you know, majority of the people who were featured in the film promoted it on their own social media. So we had a reach of, of you know, well over 150 million people, which was really phenomenal. And and the point is just to try and get this film out as wide as possible. So if anyone watching this or listening to this, they can actually rent the film right now on our website. They're trying to kill us.com. We did a very short period of time where you could buy the film and download it um, but that period has ended and we're just doing uh, streaming and renting for now as we work on a more mainstream distribution okay cool and we'll put that in the show notes too at mainstreetvegan.net so you can go to they're trying to kill us.com and and watch this incredible film oh my goodness you you won't get up to answer the phone or <laughs> anything you will be glued to the screen so you guys were talking earlier about the the hip hop artists and how they have such a, a positive uh, impact when they go vegan and start getting this message out. But there are other forces that have another kind of impact. So what are those forces when we hear they're trying to kill us? Who are they? John? They is everybody from the government to... Uh, these companies that are selling certain products, uh, whether it be pharmaceutical companies, restaurants, uh, life insurance companies, there's a there's a lot. Um, without giving the movie away too much, it, it we basically the the deeper we dove into this, the more just unraveled, and it was just this 
intersection of play between all these different entities. So yeah, it was it was definitely a uh, eye opening experience to find out all these companies and governmental bodies, everything are tied together with this. Well, you talked in the film, or somebody did, about how when people eat the bad food, then they're going to need drugs, and then they're going to need hospitals. And, you know, I don't think anybody is sitting in an ivory tower, you know, like playing some massive chess game of let's figure out how we can harm people. But that's really what's happening. That's, that's the result. Is that what you found in your travels? Right. Like, like I said before, it's, it's pretty much, sorry, Keegan. Um, what I said before is that it's not like the people that are in power today, I use power loosely, the people in power today, it's not that they set out to put this together, but they haven't done anything to change it either. Like we always say, like the people that sell alcohol, you, they know what it's doing to the community. The people that sell cigarettes, they know what it's doing to the community. You think the people that are selling food don't know what it's doing to the community? They know, but they don't care because it's about money. Yeah, and, okay. and there there are things that make you question, and this is something that is questioned in the film, that where it does seem like a an, an actual effort to target Black and Brown Americans in particular. We show an example, for, for example, um, Church's Chicken, which is found predominantly in black neighborhoods that uses almost exclusively black people in their marketing is white founded, white owned and white managed. Why would a white owned company from its beginning market almost exclusively to black people? And now, now granted deep fried food and fried chicken in particular is being consumed by all Americans who aren't plant-based and it's killing everybody you know, anybody who consumes it is increasing their rates of diabetes and heart disease and cancer. But why would a white company market exclusively to black people? Why? What is that? And so it starts to look like a concerted effort to target and kill people of color. And that's just one example. And, and the film goes, you know, the film's, you know, 108 minutes. It goes into depth and shows example after example where it, it's seen from a historical standpoint and from a current standpoint that there is a, a concerted effort to target black and brown people. What about the stance being taken by the friend that I mentioned in the intro who doesn't want people to know that he's vegan because even though he thinks it's an ethical stance, he thinks it's an elitist stance. And a lovely young woman in your film commented on that very powerfully. Can you pick up on that, either one of you? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think who who was, who are you talking uh, about on that. That was part? Paige Butler. Um, yes, Paige Butler. Oh, Paige. Right. Paige Butler is a phenomenal activist from South Central uh, LA who does work around food access and showing people how to eat affordably on on a budget. We have actually on our website uh, a meal planner, which is from plantbasedonabudget.com, and it shows how to buy all the food you need and eat plant-based diet for $25 a week or less for all the food you need. That's most, that's more, that's less than most people spend on one single meal eating out. So eating plant-based can be extremely affordable. The, the struggle is, is that having access to those plant-based foods, that is where the, the, the real challenge lies. Because if you live in a community that doesn't have a grocery store or has a very poor grocery store and you live on a fixed income and you don't have transportation to 
drive to another grocery store in another community, it's going to be really hard to eat a whole foods plant-based diet. And so that's one of the issues covered in the film. Um, but as far as affordable, you know, plant-based foods by and large are the most affordable. But if you look at highly subsidized foods like meat, dairy, and eggs, and fast food, which is highly subsidized, because of the grains that are fed to those animals, then yeah, you start to say, oh, well, it's, it's cheaper to get a Big Mac than it is to get, you know, a pound of lettuce, but it's, it's really a more of an issue of access. So what does someone do who's listening today, who lives in an area where there's food insecurity, uh, they want to eat healthy, they want to feed their family healthy, and these obstacles can just seem so overwhelming. What's a first step? There's a lot of steps that, that can go, and it's, it's it's almost situational for each person. But I always say, you know, you have to demand better from the stores. Uh, our biggest voting power that we have is our dollar, where we spend our money. If we go to these stores and we demand, hey, we need more of these options, and keep asking and keep asking, and don't spend money on anything other than plant-based options, they start to change because these – Let's be honest, these companies, these stores, these whatever are not going to necessarily go vegan, but they will go where the money is. If they see the money's there, they're going to do it. Another thing is I always say is take it back to the basics. Sure, like your friend that doesn't want to say anything because they think it's elitist, that's because vegan products have become expensive. But if you take it back to the basics, I just made a post yesterday about when somebody says, well, what do you say when somebody says leaders? And I showed a, a plate of rice and beans. I was like, how is this elite? Like, we just are so, we, since the industrialization of the world, we're just so accustomed to having this wide variety of this and that and all these different things. But we also have to realize, like what Keegan said, a lot of these uh, meat-based and dairy-based products are subsidized. So with that being said, they they're being subsidized but what is happening is that the vegan products can't be subsidized. So you're paying for it on the back end, uh, on the front end, I'm sorry, while the subsidized products are being paid for on the back end. So you don't ever see that. So the, the regular consumer is always just thinking, well, I'm going to go get this $2 burger or dollar burger because it's cheaper. Why would I go get this healthy, uh, fruitful veggie platter or whatever the case is? So I, I always say you got to take it back to the basics. And if you are able to, I know this is tough a lot of times, but if you are able to go the extra mile to get what you need that is plant-based, uh, what they do a lot of times in these communities, they put these restaurants side by side and all in front of your face lit up and, you know, the steam's coming out. You can smell it as you walk past the restaurant and they notice what they're doing. So sometimes you have to go outside of your bubble in order to get what you need to get until it actually comes into the community. Mm. Yeah. You, you also in the film say uh, some really interesting things about what is called soul food. Can you address that for a minute, John? Yes. So soul food typically was what slave owners introduced to the slaves themselves. And just like anything else, black and brown people, we can turn the worst thing into a gold mine. So what we did was at that time we had no choice. So we just turned, you know, these horrible food products into a delicacy. 
the problem is we're not slaves anymore to a certain degree. Uh, we're not slaves anymore. So why are we still eating this? Just because it was tra- tradition doesn't make it right. And that you see that so much where people are just continuing traditions, even though scientifically proven, not a vegan thing, scientifically proven, it's been shown to hinder health in black and brown communities and anybody, uh, quite frankly. But it's definitely shown to hinder the black and brown community by eating these products. But yet and still, we continue to do it because of tradition. And Keegan, you were going to say something, I think, and I jumped in there. Oh, no. I mean, it's the, the food access issue, too. It's it's really challenging. If you live in an impoverished neighborhood, you work three jobs, you're a single parent, you know, it's going to be a challenge. And that's why I think for folks not living in those conditions to help out in any way possible. And that's supporting organizations that are doing work in those communities, um, supporting initiatives that are helping, you know, disenfranchised and underserved communities get access to health promoting foods um, is maybe working on a political level changing policy so that things like the um, SNAP program you know, formerly food stamps prioritizes healthy foods so that instead of being junk food when you buy that you have to buy healthy food and so all of the local convenience stores and bodegas are going to are going to stock health promoting foods so there's a there's a lot of different things um I, I'm concerned that people will put the onus on those who are struggling the most to make the changes. And we need to, if you come from any sort of place of privilege, help out wherever you possibly can without, without being the savior, you know, like we're, we're not promoting that in any way. It's help, help people right. in whatever way is, is really appropriate. And there's almost always going to be a local organization that comes from that community that's trying to do good work. I mean, Baltimore, for example, you have Brenda Sanders with Thrive, who's doing that in, in inner city Baltimore, providing plant-based options and education. Um, you've got people like Paige Butler in South Central Los Angeles or Supermarket in, in LA as well, who are produced, promoting um, farmer's markets in uh, communities that historically have not had access to farmer's markets. So there's, there's so many different things that people can do and to help each other to reach a more healthful, sustainable, compassionate way of living. Oh, that's wonderful. So it really does take the proverbial village. So uh, as we go to break, let me just give you some URLs uh, so that you can find all these wonderful people in this wonderful film. They're trying to kill us.com. And that's there without uh, the uh, apostrophe. And of course, uh, you can always follow these gentlemen on their personal pages as well. We'll put all that in the show notes. But I do want to uh, call out John at Badass Vegan, one of my very favorite Instagrammers in the world. So do check him out. And guess what? We're coming up on a break. So you've got some time to do that right now. And we'll be back with more on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us through the break. Sometimes the Unity people give us beautiful meditations and lovely calming um, gifts during the break time. So that's pretty nice. So a couple of announcements. I invite you to check out MainStreetVegan.net. And I admit, oh, my grandmother used to say, confession is good for the soul. I got behind on show notes, but now they're all back up thanks to a wonderful virtual assistant, Marie, who is helping out and uh, with great gratitude to Marie Doré. We do have show notes back up again, and you can check out everything that happened in the month of November on the Main Street Vegan Podcast. You can also join the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group on Facebook. And when you do that, you get all of the inner scoop and everything that goes on here. I also invite you to check out Main Street Vegan Academy, which trains and certifies vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. Our next course via Zoom is coming up at the end of January. And because you are a listener to this podcast, I'm going to give you a discount code, which is KINDNESS20, capital K, Kindness 20, if you would like to train as a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. So be happy to hear from you on any of those fronts. But without taking any more time away from our wonderful guests, um, John Lewis, Badass Vegan, and Keegan Kuhn, who have just given the world this incredible film, They're Trying to Kill Us. Now, I think when people rent this film, some good is going to happen as a result of that. You're trying to raise some money for charity. Tell us about that. That's correct. Uh, the f- go ahead, Keith. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, John. <laughs> uh, the first uh, million dollars that is uh, of proceeds that come in is going towards charity uh, organizations and foundations. Um, to help those in need. So we're very proud of that. So everybody that rents uh, the movie from now on and everybody that uh, purchased it and rented in the past, it's all going towards that. Yeah, from the beginning, John and I wanted to make sure that this film gave back to to everybody who's in the film, but also everybody who's part of this community. And it's really important to us that we actually feed people with this. You know, this is while the film is educational, it's entertaining, but it's also supposed to feed you and speed your, you know, your mind and your heart. And, and ideally we're going to raise enough money that we can feed some stomachs as well. So That's wonderful. 
Yeah, well, thank you. And we, we really, really want to encourage people to buy the film, rent the film, um, buy merchandise. All that goes towards reading that $1 million goal. After we hit that million dollar goal, we are still giving a third, uh, close to a third of the film's proceeds to charity for the life of the film. So wow. it's from the beginning. We want to make sure that this film does good on every level it possibly can. Well, that gives me chills. I think you're describing the new capitalism, the new business model of thinking of others first and then just allowing uh, the good you know, to flow. Yeah, thank you for that. We, you know, we, we've seen through COVID how many people have come together to take care of each other. You know, mutual aid has stepped up in a whole new way. I mean, you saw people sharing resources and helping wherever they possibly could. And a lot of times it's from people with not a lot of means who are helping each other with with not a lot of means and just finding a ways to share resources. And so as John and I, as filmmakers, this is one of the few ways that we can do that same, you know, we can share our skills and our abilities and share our resources with those most in need. And in addition to renting the film, is, is there some stuff we can buy? Uh, yeah. You could say there's some hats like this. Uh, we also have shirts, uh, sweatshirts, shopping bags, stickers, posters, the list goes on. And, and again, all the first million dollars is still going towards, you know, charitable organizations and foundations. That's cool. That's wonderful. So I want to go back, John, to the inspiration that you had, which I think prompted your, your dietary change uh, way back when. And that was a line in a hip hop song from stick of dead prez. What did he say? He said, uh, poor diets are killing more brothers than pistols. And that definitely stuck out in my head. And, and it's, it's factual. It's not like it's, oh, it's just a rap lyric. And, you know, but it has been proven that the amount of people that die from homicide doesn't even compare to the people that are dying from poor diets, which stems from, you know, the meat and dairy industry. Well, when I had not heard that line and when I heard it in your film, it was just it was staggering simply because we do hear about the gun violence, which, of course, is terrible. And we need to be working on that, too. But when you really put into perspective that these foods, they're not just bad choices, harmless indulgences, they're they're killers. And when people have every choice in the world and they choose those, well, that's their choice. But when people have limited choices and that's what's in front of them, then it's criminal. And that's when all the rest of us need to get involved. So I was talking to Keegan during the, the break that probably when you guys started making this film, you thought, okay, well, I know a lot about this topic. And so we're going to make a film about it. But I think you learned a lot traveling the country, talking to your experts and meeting people. Tell us what you know that you didn't know five years ago. Uh, before I answer that, I want to actually couple on something that you said. And I think this is the first time I've ever said it, but it really makes me think that if any outside source was to come into our country and do what this country has done, we would call it terrorism in a heartbeat but because it's the country it's like oh no you know they just they just messed up don't worry about it 
we we treat the the lives as numbers and not as the actual lives. And if we actually looked at them as lives, I think we would change that whole scenario. Uh, as far as what I learned, I would have to say, you know, going to the hog farm is just a very very educational experience for me. Uh, I was a butcher at one point, so I thought I knew everything about you know the slaughter and this and that, and just being there and, and finding out. It is more of a, a human rights issue than just animal rights issue. Learning about how the waste of these hogs. And this is, again, let's just think about it. This was one hog farm that we went to in one state, in one city. Imagine how many hog farms are around the nation, around the world. And then, if you really want to add on to that, how many cow farms, chicken farms, even people that eat frog legs, you know, the frog farms, the fish farms, all these things produce waste. And where is this waste going? It's going right into the communities. And who lives in these communities most of the time? Communities of color and minorities. So, you know, learning that uh, is just, it just took a lot to keep a straight face during those interviews as we went along with that. Well, that was a fascinating part of the film because it's as if out of all of the hog farmers in all the world, you found one who had taken truth syrup. I mean, this man makes his living this way, but he was telling you all the dirty secrets, which aren't really that secret if you're standing there smelling it. But what did you learn from him that was surprising? How easily somebody can be misguided by money. Uh, Because... For him, you know, this was a job. It was something to do. He had he had basically formed a callus around his ethics because that was a way of life. It didn't matter uh, who it was killing in the community, how many hogs it killed, how many workers might have got sick. Uh, you know, it just didn't matter to him at all. This was just a job. So the people that you met in the communities, have they yet put two and two together so that they're no longer eating pork? Or is that still the disconnect like so many people have? Oh, there's still a big disconnect. Yeah, yeah you could you could definitely see that because pork pork uh, sales haven't gone down that much. Um, and even though they are poisoning the community, some people in the community are still eating it without even knowing that they're they're at a double edged sword at that point. I mean, we we interviewed uh, activists who have spent decades fighting against these concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFO, factory farm, pig farms in North Carolina, and they eat bacon every morning for breakfast. They they just don't make the connection. They want to believe that, well, there's a, a better way of raising animals. And the truth is, is that, and this is something we talk about in the film, is that factory farms, but the all farms are creating zoonotic diseases, you know, diseases that jump species and create pandemics like COVID-19, but even before that, you know, we look at smallpox and avian flu and, and swine flu, you know, killed 500,000 people around the world, came from a pig farm in North Carolina. And that can be a factory farm, but that could also be a small scale farm. It's when we live in close proximity and intense confinement with other animals that the risk of zoonotic diseases goes up dramatically. And that's something that we're, we're seeing. And so people aren't making that connection. People are still failing to see the big picture. I asked this almost every, oh, go ahead, John. I just kind of want to couple on what what Keegan said is is that, you know, so many people are 
separated in the thought patterns and to the point where a lot of people will say, you know, I drink milk uh, because I want to get strong. I eat the meat because I want to get the nutrients from the meat. But then at the same time, they'll think that these diseases that these animals get can't pass on to us. It's like, well, if you think you can get the nutrients from them, why wouldn't you think that the diseases would also come with that too? Wow, that's an interesting point. I'd, I'd never thought of it that way. Gosh. So a question that I ask probably every week on this program, every time I think I've got somebody smart in a confined space and he has to listen to me and answer my question, what do we do about the disconnect? It's it's so frustrating because, you know, I learned about the North Carolina situation in, in earlier films, actually yours, uh, Keegan, and, and have read since, but it's not something that I see on CNN, read in the New York Times. What do we do? I, I think there's a lot of different things. There's, you know, first you got to get the information out there, right? People have to have all the information before they can make informed decisions. And then the second part too is, is understanding the audience that you're speaking to. Somebody, if you come from an animal rights perspective and you're talking to someone who doesn't care about animals at all, they're not going to hear that argument. They're not going to hear the information, but maybe they care about their own personal health. So you can come from that angle. Maybe they care about spirituality. So you can come from that angle. And so it's really knowing who you're speaking to. And that's the reason why, you know, there's this incredible plethora of vegan documentaries and more coming and they're all needed because they're all going to hit a different demographic in a different way. I mean, there's, you know, what the health is one of probably 15 plant-based food documentaries, you know, health documentaries. And they all are hitting an audience in a different way. The Game Changers, you know, is a perfect example of hitting an audience squarely. They they wanted to get the, you know, alpha male macho sort of guy to watch their film. And they nailed it. They got that perfectly. What the health goes for a different audience. You know, Forks Over Knives goes for another audience. But while all still talking about the same subject. So I think we need to just have a, a wide diversity of um, the talking points and discussions to be able to get people to make that connection. because. One, there's not going to be the, the silver bullet to solve this. It's going to be a lot of different avenues. And a great title really helps. I, I You know, you could have <laughs> called this film like, I don't know, Vegan in the Hood, and it probably uh, wouldn't have attracted as many people as, what is this? They're trying to kill us. But now that I've said that, I think there is somebody yeah. called Vegan in the Hood. So <laughs> shout out to I Vegan in the so. Hood. You're I totally cool. I think there's a restaurant. I think it's a restaurant uh, in, man, I can't remember. I, somebody, I think, just sent it to me last week about that. Um, but but to go along with the title of what you're saying, I truly believe, like, I I haven't been in the documentary space for a long time. I've always edited films and smaller things. But I, I would have to say, like, I I was always influenced by Michael Moore and, like, how it was kind of always in your face. And his titles really really attracted you to it before you even knew what it was about you know you see you hear Fahrenheit 9-11 like okay well what, what's going on here like you hear those kind of titles and you just want to watch it and so you know I had the idea of like they're trying to kill us and you know uh, it, it it's just like it just stood out yeah yeah it's it's well this this reminds me we need to get your film to Michael Moore and everybody yeah, else on it. If you have any way of doing that, and we'd love yeah, to. We'll talk. Do it. We'll talk. Well, since I said vegan in the hood, I just Googled it. 
he was on my show. So uh, I guess my, I can, I can hide behind. <laughs> We've been doing this once a week for almost 10 years. So sometimes something slips okay. to mind. So he is a New York City based blogger and his Instagram is how to be vegan in the hood. And there is also a restaurant in New York City called vegan hood. Vegan comfort okay. foods such as wings, mac and cheese, burgers, fried shrimp, and pull boy sandwiches. Okay, cool. All right. So we got that taken care of. A shout out to those good folks. But we are talking about the wonderful documentary, They're Trying to Kill Us. So uh, we mentioned briefly, but I would love for you to go in, in more detail to what you learned on this Navajo reservation. That was very eye-opening. Yeah, we went to Navajo Nation, um, which is a, a major, it's the largest uh, indigenous reservation nation in the United States. Um, it's an area about the size of West Virginia, the whole state, about 200,000, 250,000 people live there. But the Navajo Nation only has a, a little over a dozen grocery stores. And the vast majority of food access for the Diné people is convenience stores. And so we interviewed uh, a Bene elder, Gloria Ann Begay, and she has been working on food sovereignty. And she, she created the Diné Food Sovereignty Alliance to try and increase access to healthy foods, um, increase education and nutritional literacy, and promoting healthy lifestyles. So she actually, and it's something we unfortunately didn't make it into the film, she created a, or was part of a coalition to create a um, junk food tax in Navajo Nation. So junk food costs more in Navajo Nation than healthy foods. And in fact, healthy foods are cheaper than they would be outside of Navajo Nation. And the money that's that's collected from those junk food tax is used to uh, promote healthy living. So that could be putting in a bike path, that could be helping people get access to exercise equipment or healthy foods or seeds, um, but it could even be used to promote the you know Navajo, the Dene language. And so that's that's one aspect of it but the reason why we went to Navajo Nation is because they also suffer from some of the highest rates of chronic disease particularly type 2 diabetes are higher among indigenous Americans but particularly the Diné than European Americans and then you look at the history we interviewed a Navajo Nation doctor who's been working on in the reservation for 20 plus years Dr. Chip Thomas and he talked about how indigenous people historically have been very very healthy before colonization they don't suffer from these chronic diseases. And when you introduce a colonial diet, this European diet of meat, dairy, eggs, wheat, uh, saturated, high saturated fat diets, people start dying from chronic disease rates you know, that are through the roof. And so that was an, an aspect to be able to talk about the colonial diet and how colonized people suffer not only from you know, the oppression that they face from their culture, but from this diet that's being forced on them. And thank goodness for the great work she's doing there. I know there are so many problems facing that community. And I mean, it just, they, if this is their country, they were here before anybody came here or was brought here. And it just seems like there's so much work to be done. Yeah. So, what? <laughs> so, I guess it means we can follow our intuition. You know, some people are very excited about doing one kind of good work in the world and other people doing another kind. And I guess if we all do what we're called to do, things are going to get better. So tell me about right now for the two of you, I know you're working on distribution, you're at this wonderful, interesting early, but not 
really beginning part of the film. So what's going on? Are you traveling? Are you talking to people? What's life like with a, a new film? I, I always say that Keegan and I are like the uh, Tupac and, <laughs> and and the promoter. You know, we're like I'm out there going at it. He's like, yeah, I'll be at home. If you need me, just let me know. But so I have been, I've still been speaking. I've still been, you know, networking, uh, doing everything. And he's doing it too. I'm just more out. I'm actually traveling right now um, to do it. I actually go to New York next week um, to for some meetings and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, we, it's, it's a never ending grind. I think people think once you're done with the film, that's it. It's like, no, you have to campaign, you have to negotiate, you have to network. There's so many aspects that are involved uh, once the film is actually done. Yeah. John, John and I are new parents. We, uh, we spent five years gestating this baby and we birthed it into the world. And now we're, we've got a, help raise it but we need the community you know it takes a a village to to raise a child so that's the reason why we released the film the way we did is because we want to get as many people involved and engaged in the film to help us raise this film and get it out to the bigger wider world and so we're super appreciative of everybody who has watched the film and reviewed it and talked about it and promoted it on their social media because that helps just get this message out there and, and that's what we want to see is just seeing this information get out to as many people as possible, because it literally is going to save people's lives when they realize that the diseases that they are suffering from are not necessarily genetic, just because their mom had it and their grandma had it. It could be the more of the fact that they are eating the same food that their, their ancestors ate versus anything to do with their genes and that they're suffering from the same lifestyle. So we're really passionate about the film, but yeah, this has been a, uh, a labor getting this film out into the world. So what about labor the- is definitely a, a strong word. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, a labor of love. So um, what about when you're, you're trying to talk to people about eating food that they don't think is going to be good? Do you have any tricks for that? My biggest thing is just tell them, like, I personally won't eat anything that's nasty. I don't care if you tell me this plant, vegetable, fruit is going to give me an extra 30 years. If it's nasty, I'm not eating it. So it's also, you know, you got to come to the reality that there are items of food that are not vegan that you probably think are nasty. But you had to go through it to try it first to see if you liked it or not. And the same thing goes with vegan food. Every No knock on any vegan chef, but every vegan chef is not a great vegan chef or they won't uh, appeal to your palate. You have to find out. And I think the problem is a lot of people are scared to start over. And that goes down the line, not just food, business, relationships, so many things. People are just scared to start over no matter what it is. But you have to be able to take a step back and say, you know what, for the betterment of my health, my family's health, there's going to be a learning curve that's going to be involved with this. And John and I, you know, both promote, uh, you know, more whole foods, plant-based way of eating. But I, we also think, you know, transition foods can be great. If people are like, Hey, I eat burgers and fries and Coca-Cola all the time. And they're like, I don't want to give that up. And it's like, Hey, look, you can transition. And there are alternatives, plant-based alternatives. They're not health foods, um, but they might be a healthier option than the current diet you're eating. And that helps you right. move off that. And so uh, I think that while I don't eat a lot of you know plant-based meats, I think they can be an amazing tool to use to to transition you towards a more uh, health-promoting diet. 
one of your chefs said something like that. She talked about some of the comfort food that she knows how to make vegan. And what's interesting is a lot of that comfort food isn't necessarily into the super greasy, fatty, oily. You can have things like mac and cheese that are like, are you kidding? This cheese is made out of potatoes and cauliflower. It's amazing. (laughs) the great chemistry of vegan living. Mm -hmm. So in our last few minutes, let me just ask uh, each of you individually, what are you most excited about today? And what do you want people to know? Keegan? You know, I'm really excited about the hunger for information. I'm really excited by how people are going out of their way to learn more in every avenue of their life. And that's inspiring to me. And as a, a filmmaker who tries to utilize education and science communication as the avenue to spread information. I'm really excited by that. Um, I, I think that we are on the edge of a massive shift in our society, um, both positively and negatively. And I'm, I'm excited to see what is to come because I really believe that it will be a, a positive shift because really we don't have any other choice, mm-hmm. but to shift towards a more positive, sustainable, compassionate way of living. Well, if everybody was doing what the two of you are doing, it would be positive hands down. John? Uh, I'm excited that the community is embracing it. Sure, there's some doubt, but from everybody that we've seen that's watched the film, we really haven't received any negative feedback at all. The only negative feedback we've had is from people that haven't seen the film. Like, what is this about? There's no way. It's like, we'll watch the film and maybe you'll find out but from people that have seen the film I've, I've had some straight up doubters that have been like i watched this film bro and i have to say like you are right like you're right so i'm very excited that people are accepting it uh i'm very happy that my mom got to see the film uh you know she's not doing so well health-wise so i'm glad that she finally got to see it and, and understand how important she was to the catalyst of the of the movement of this film so very excited. There's so many things to be excited for. Oh, thank you. And she just seems like the most wonderful person. Just wow. She is. Bless her heart. She, she's, a, she's a firecracker. She's a firecracker, but she's. <laughs> well, she raised you, so most that wonderful. doesn't surprise me a bit. That's oh, true. gosh. That's true. Okay, everybody, as we come to a close, thanks so much to our guests. And you can rent their film at theyretryingtokillus.com. We will put all that in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Also want to invite everybody to the next Compassion Consortium Compassionate Book Night. That's Tuesday, December 7th, 8 p.m. We're going to be talking with Joanne Kong and Jean Bauer, contributors to Vegan Voices. So you can check that out at tinyurl.com slash ccveganvoices. And we'll put that in the show notes for you, too. Thanks, everybody. God bless. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. 
And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.